Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smutana. Jess, it has been. It has been a couple weeks. Yes. Well, we had our, our special mid-season TEDx Boston talk, but now yes. we're back with a regularly scheduled Off the Looking Glass episode that is jam-packed with, mm-hmm. with lots of things, Kate. Can you start us off? What are we yeah. going to be talking about today? Well, yeah, so we have some scary things at the end. Scary to you and I, at least. Maybe not to the average We're listener. such losers, yeah. <laughs> but I'm so excited. I'm, I, we got to tell you about our guest today. And don't worry, they will get their proper hype intro. But Monet Davis is going to be on the show today. And yes. my Little League loving heart, as well as just my good story loving heart, is very excited to have Monet Davis on because this was a big deal. I mean, she's a big deal still because she's still... She's still playing and she's still awesome, but 2014 cover of SI, lighting the world on fire. Yeah, Kate, it was really crazy to find out that Monet Davis is now a college athlete. Yeah. Because yeah. her being in the Little League World Series feels like something that happened a couple of years ago, right? But it's almost 10 years ago now. It was in 2014. <gasps> and this was such a humbling moment for me because I think often I kind of throw you under the bus as like, ah, <laughs> Kate's age and experience far exceeds mine but I was like wow I feel old now too because yeah. like this happened a long time ago and I feel like how could this much time have passed yeah. possibly between now and then so basically what you're saying is you were basically an adultish when this happened and yeah. now you have watched Monet go from being a 13 year old to where you were when yes. Monet Davis happened and yeah this is, might be your first experience of this phenomenon. Yeah, um, it was quite a revelation for me. Yeah. So we have Monet Davis on the show, and it inspired something in addition that I think you'll hear down the line and off the looking glass, because as you know, we do the Does It Hold Up? And I remember that a couple of years after the phenomenon of Monet Davis, there was a show on Fox called Pitch. Oh, Pitch. I remember that. I only saw a couple episodes, which is why it's going to be a great Does It Hold Up? But the premise is that there is a young woman who's pitching in the major leagues. And there's an interesting father-daughter dynamic. And it's actually made or written by Dan Fogelman, who has since gone on to do This Is Us. Hmm. So I think, I don't know, if you're game, I think we should do maybe a Pitch Does It Hold Up? I would love to. I love binging TV shows, especially <laughs> ones that like maybe aren't that good. I lo- I prefer good ones, but I'll yeah. watch pretty much anything. So I think that's a really great idea. It was Pitch inspired by Monet Davis because you said it. It came out like a couple years after her yeah. story went crazy. I don't want to say viral, but viral, I guess. Yeah. For lack of a better word. So, yeah. I mean, it dropped in on Fox in 2016, and Monet was on the cover of SI in 2014. So there's no, like, life rights attached to it, so I'm not suggesting it's the Monet Davis story, because in pitch, she is a major league pitcher, as opposed to, you know, a fireball thrower in the little leagues. But I got to think there was some seeds planted in Dan Fogelman's brain. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well... We should follow up on that and and watch that down the road here. Yes. Should we tell people what is on, what and who are on the show today? Yes, we should. So we have Monet Davis, of course, and then we have a Does It Hold Up about the movie Blue Crush, which I watched for the first time. And so we're going to get into the world of surfing just in time for, for summer. Just in time for summer. We're timely on Off the Looking Glass. And we will also introduce something called the OTLG test, 
uh, later. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. And of course, as always, do not skip the ads. Our guest today is from Philly. She was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a 13-year-old. This was 2014, and the cover copy read, Monet, remember her name, as if we could ever forget. She is now a softball player for Division I, Hampton University. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on. Monet Davis. Take us through the decision to play softball in college. Like, what, what was your mindset about why that was the sport you wanted to play? I mean, it starts back at what sport I was having fun with. Growing up, I always wanted to be a professional basketball player. But, you know, during high school, I stopped having fun with it. It just wasn't enjoyable for me anymore. And, you know, like I said, once you get to college, it's all about it's a business. And if you really love it, then you'll really enjoy it. And at the time, it wasn't something that I truly loved. And I feel like with softball, I had you know, so much growth that, you know, I was willing to learn and be challenged. And, you know, I was just enjoying it at the time. So I just made the decision, let's try softball. Baseball has been a big part of my life. So I've known the sport for so long, but, you know, I wanted to keep basketball fun because that's what I did when I was younger. It was just all about having fun. And I feel like softball is probably the perfect choice and I'm enjoying it. I'm learning so much about the sport. I'm learning so much more about myself. And it's just a, it's a great sport, you know, mentally. It helps you stay mentally prepared at all times. What were some of the biggest differences that you noticed switching from baseball to softball, like speed, focus, just little things that you noticed that maybe you didn't expect because the sports are a little bit similar? Definitely the pace of the game is so much faster. You got to really be, you know, ready at all times. The pitchers are throwing way more strikes than baseball and they don't take those long pauses in the middle to throw the next pitch. So that's like the huge difference. But like, I feel like everything else is pretty much the same. I did realize there's a lot more bunting in softball than there is in baseball, a lot of small ball being played. But that's like just the huge differences that I've noticed. But I feel like I enjoy both of them. I just don't enjoy the nine innings that takes forever. So like, I go watch baseball games. It's just, it gets a little tiring. And then once you hit like the seventh inning, then you got to like, all right, let's refocus like games back on. So it's really not too different. Okay. I want to talk more about just the differences and like that transition to softball, but going back to what you said about the decision about what to play in college, you sound more aware than most student athletes that I talk to about what the quote unquote job is actually going to be at the college level. Most of them don't really understand. They'd have a tough time focusing on like picking a place they're going to love and doing a sport that they love and more so like where's the highest level I can play this at regardless of whether it might be right for me. Do you think that your experience in 2014 helped you understand that sport can pivot away from just being like, you know, youthful enjoyment to something more? Or how did you get to that mindset of understanding that it was going to be you had to have all these different factors that you weighed. I'd say it did, but it didn't at the same time. So like, I want to say maybe when I was like 11, 10 or 11, I actually didn't want to play baseball anymore. I wasn't enjoying it. And then somehow I, I think my parents convinced me to keep playing and I just started having more fun with it. So I feel like it started around that time where like not giving up and making sure, you know, you're still having fun, but I'm always up for a challenge. And I think, Growing up, I've just always been, you know, around older people that it just helped me, 
you know, mentally just think, you know, not just think of now, but think of, you know, a couple years down the line. But choosing a place, I really looked at it as if what I want to do in the future. So I want to do journalism. So I, you know, narrowed the schools down who had a journalism program. And, you know, if they were, their sports teams were competing in a good conference, that's what I was looking for. But also since Hampton's an HBCU, I feel like I wanted to play next to girls who look like me, who have similar backgrounds to me that it kind of was a no brainer for me, whether I wanted to go here or somewhere else. But I feel like Hampton fit everything that I needed in a college and it's been helping me grow mentally and as a person. So I feel like I picked the right choice. And it's just, it's been a lot of fun, honestly. Which sport do you like better? Baseball or softball? Ooh, someone actually just recently asked me this. I would say I like them both equally. They're both their own game. So like, they're so different, but at the same time, they're the same. I can't really pick. I mean, I grew up playing baseball and I'm playing softball now. It's so like, I can't pick and choose right now. It's like having yeah. two kids and choosing your favorite kid. I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I force people to do that too. So everyone has a favorite kid also. Yeah. Don't let your parents lie to you. I know I'm my parents' favorite. I believe I'm my parents' favorite. So like <laughs> I understand. But I mean, I can't I definitely can't choose. I feel like if I chose baseball, I'd let my softball teammates down. But if I chose softball, I'd let my baseball teammates down. So I'm just gonna stay neutral. Okay. Okay. What percentage of your college teammates have the story in their background of playing little league at some age and then having to transition, not having to, but in some cases, maybe having to, what percentage of them played little league or Bambinos or whatever they would call it as a kid? I think almost everyone played travel softball growing up, except for me. I think I'm the only one on the team who hasn't played travel softball. So they actually played softball. So they played softball like younger than you played. So you played baseball longer than most of them, but they played softball during summers and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So growing up, they all played travel softball and at practices, they all talk about how their travel softball schedules are. I'm just sitting there like, "Mm, must be nice. Like growing up baseball, you only play like two games in a day, but they're saying how they played like four or five games in a day. And I'm like, yeah, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> no, I have like friends now who are in like Arizona or something and they have kids who are in travel softball and they have eight hour practices at like age 14 or 15. So I feel like it seems like a, a through line of what you've said so far is like, you know, sports are like a means to an end at times, but also you like to feel joy and passion when you play them and like balancing those things. That's not necessarily something you hear a whole lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even like over like quarantine, like I would also, you know, go out and play basketball. I feel like for me, that's like a great way of staying in shape. You're running, but you're running while you're doing something that you love. So since I love playing basketball, I'm running and getting my cardio in. But at the same time, I'm having fun. So I'm not really focused on getting cardio. Like if you were just tell someone to go out and run, I don't think many people my age would be like, oh, sure, let's go. But like, you tell them oh let's go play basketball let's go play soccer I feel like a lot of them would really just prefer to do that than just go run um Monet so when you came to Hampton you are someone who has gotten a lot of media attention for pitching a shutout in the Little League World Series and now there's name image and likeness legislation that's passed so that's something you can actually monetize I'm wondering if a having you know, name recognition was something that ever became a conversation with your teammates and B, if that's ever been something that's allowed you an opportunity to make money outside of playing softball. Well, since, well, in each state, the laws are different. So like here you have to really like pay attention to what the law is. And I'm pretty sure within like the conference and the school, they also have their own, you know, rules. 
so you got to really follow it. But like, I haven't really looked too much into NILs. Um, I signed up for Cameo. So that was, I think that was a pretty cool, just randomly getting a video message. So I enjoy those, but we haven't really, I feel like a lot of people on my team, like we haven't really talked about NILs or anything because it's not something big here at Hampton. But if the opportunity presents itself, I'm here to listen. And if I feel like it fits well with me as a person and what I stand for, then I'll get on it. And if not, then, you know, there's more opportunities to come. But I mean, it has to be what doesn't have to be. I'm imagining it can be a, it could be a joke within your team that you are Monet Davis <laughs> and that if people recognize you, they roll their eyes or they like joke about it. like it has to be a thing. It can't not be a thing. No. Yeah, we joke about it. Um, two years ago, we were in a hotel and somehow I don't know how it came up, but like. My teammates just started watching my SB speech. And I just want to thank my parents, my coach, my teammates for helping me be the person I am today. And like, just started laughing and I had to like, I like ran out the room. So thank you. So we joke about it all the time and it's nothing too serious, but sometimes I'll just like catch like people on the other team just talking to me, having a nice conversation with me. But I think this year, a couple of weeks ago, was like the first time like someone was like, oh yeah, like I remember watching you on TV and just having a conversation. And it was like, I was on third base and she was playing third base. And it was just weird. Cause like, I'm like, you're supposed to be focusing on the game, but we, we joke about it all the time. It's not something we take too serious. And, you know, I'm fine with them joking about it. I know like when I first got here, they all were like, oh, I thought you were so much younger than me. Like I remember watching you on TV, but we, we love to joke here. So it's, it's nothing too crazy. What is it like being being famous for something you did when you were younger. What is it what is it like you being famous for something you did when you were younger? Kate, 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 Kate. We're in, 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 in. Another, other, other. Rabbit, Abbott, Abbott. Hole, 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 hole. Echo, echo, echo. That's what I do. I always just say echo. We decided that wasn't creative enough, so yeah. I picked a new one. Maybe, like, let's say right now I'm, like, tossing a baseball up in the air, and then I, pow, I hit it with a bat, and it just ricochets around. Ooh. We'll see, we'll wow. see what happens with that. We'll see how that goes. It's still clanging around. This is a big hole. Yeah. <laughs> All right, speaking of baseball bats, we bounced down here because... Up top, we have Monet, and her youth sports career was highlighted by being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Okay, Jess, not, mm-hmm. not Faces in the Crowd. Please tell me you remember Faces <laughs> in the Crowd. Please. Oh, my God. I worked at Sports Illustrated. Of course I remember okay. Faces in the Crowd. Faces in the Crowd, phenomenal hit rate. Sometimes you look at old Sports Illustrateds, and it's like Matthew Stafford, and like there's Russell Wilson. Like There's people in it that you're like, wow, this actually came to fruition, huh? Yeah. So Monet's Monet's youth sports highlight. I mean, I don't think either of us were on the cover of Sports Illustrated at thirteen year old as thirteen year olds. But I mean, we probably had some highlights, right? So what's your closest? My youth sports, the pinnacle of my youth sports career, Kate. There were a few, but I think the big one was in fifth grade. My mm. travel soccer team won two back to back tournaments. Whoa! In a row. Yeah. Wow! Two trophies. Like mid Atlantic. Two tournaments. What are we thinking here. Midwest. Mm, 
picture, so there was like a top tier girls youth soccer tier and like those players were like getting invited to like ODP camps and they were on like scholarship lists and stuff like that. The one below that mm. was like where I kind of, you know, had my, my bread and butter, so to yeah. speak. And this was also fifth grade. So it was like a little bit before things got serious for, for girls sure, trying sure. to get scholarships. That level also extremely like regional Chicago suburban Mm. soccer teams. But we won all our games. We were like easily the best team there. And then we did it again the next weekend. It was crazy. There was so much winning happening. Yeah. I still have pictures from it. Like it was just the pinnacle of my youth sports career. And then from then on completely all downhill, downhill. I had one of the worst ends to my soccer career imaginable we're gonna save that okay, for that's another a tease. episode that's a tease good because i'm not ready to talk about it yet but it was traumatic yeah okay so fifth grade was really the pinnacle should we have talked about this in conjunction with million dollar baby or is it not we'll, we'll tease i mean it. it wasn't it wasn't that depressing okay <laughs> did wait i have one follow-up question here now okay. was the reward for this fifth grade championship level production olive garden was it ice cream? Ooh. Like what? I think it was ice cream. I think okay. cl- we used to do Culver's after tournaments because most of our tournaments were like in northern Illinois, Wisconsin land, where there's a lot of big, wide open soccer fields. So there was always a call. Have you had Culver's? I've heard of Culver's. Is it a custard oh, Kate, stand? You would love Culver's. Yeah, it's custard. It's mm. not like a stand. It's like they have burgers and fries and chicken tenders and stuff there, too. But the custard is Mwah, chef's kiss. Okay. So yeah, it was it was probably a Culver's day afterwards. Okay. That's great. Fifth grade. That's a good time to peak in youth sports. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look where you've ended up. So it, it was good for you, mm, I think. I, I've been in Sports Illustrated, my yeah. byline. Yes. Not in Faces in the Crowd, not on the cover, but your byline. Yes. So close. Yeah. Okay. So my the pinnacle of my youth sports career, we took a trip to Cooperstown and- Cooperstown used to do this thing where you could measure the speed of your pitch. And they had a wall up and there were different categories like fastest boy, fastest girl, fastest father, son, fastest father, daughter, fastest son. I mean, there was all kinds of combos. Mm -hmm. And I threw a pitch and it was like 47 miles per hour. I mean, not that fast, but. But like, okay, that's. You would get a speeding ticket in a school zone for sure. Like oh, you'd be a sure. super speeder. Yeah. yeah. An expensive one as well. So. <laughs> right. Maybe a suspended license. Yeah. Multiple could, points on your license. It could be bad. <laughs> and the mother daughter record to have your Polaroid up. So they take a picture of the mother daughter combo. It was something like 88 miles per hour combo with mother daughter. There just aren't a lot of mothers and daughters that are going around doing this mm-hmm. at Cooperstown. Well, women don't like sports. Yeah. yeah so so it was a really low them. bar. Um, in fact, there might have been an empty space where the mother daughter Polaroid should go. We could have been the first mother daughter combo to even attempt this. I threw wow. like 40, whatever it was, 47 miles per hour. My mom threw something similar. I think. Wow. We, I think we broke 90. And it was like 92 <gasps> miles per hour combo mother-daughter. They took our Polaroid. They put it up on the wall at Cooperstown outside of the Hall of Fame, not inside the Hall of Fame. But still. But uh, but near. And so I can say, I don't know if it's still up, but for a time I could say my, my photo was up at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. So that was really, I was probably about 
fifth, sixth grade. And my mom and I, Jess, we were pretty excited. That is elite. Thank God your mom didn't fuck it up for you. Oh my God. I was like, mom, all you have to throw, because it's an empty space, you just have to, just don't get a DNP, you know? Like, right. just throw something. And she came through. I mean, she really, she loved her some youth baseball back in the day. So that was the peak. Sounds like we both peaked in fifth grade. Awesome. Yeah, yeah and here we are. Bunch of cool kids <laughs> interviewing Monet Davis. That's all right. right, let's go back up. <laughs> What is it like being being famous for something you did when you were younger and that you and you are now, you know, that is you, but also you are a different person now and you will continue to like grow and evolve. What is that like? I just feel like I just got I just matured a little bit. I feel like I was pretty mature back then and you know, I'm still maturing, but it's not it's not really too bad. Yeah, it's really not it's not anything too crazy to me. I try to stay, you know, myself at all times, so it's not really anything crazy. What's the upside of it then? I mean, I would say the upside would be like at the time I got to meet a lot of my idols looking up like that I looked up to growing up. So I got to meet a lot of athletes and I got to go to a lot of, you know, cool places that like I've never been before. So I got to go to London. And I thought that was pretty cool. So there's some perks to it, but I would say like the cons to it would be like I had to grow up pretty fast. Like I had so many people looking at me. I missed school, but at the end of the day, I feel like my parents did a great job of narrowing down like what they thought I would enjoy instead of just throwing me into a bunch of different things. Do you have the SI cover somewhere? I do. I have one. It's at home. It's in a sneaker box of a pair of sneakers that I will never wear. So they're, it's just sitting in the sneaker box. But I also have, I have a picture frame that has both covers that are right next to each other. So I do have them and I will keep them forever. Does what happened in like gaining all of that, you know, whatever, fame, let's just call it fame. Like, does it, do you feel pressure? No, not at all. I feel like I only, the only pressure I would feel is like if I put pressure on myself, but I don't feel any type of pressure. I don't let what other people are saying or what others expectations are of me affect me because I know what I'm capable of. And, you know, the only expectations that matter to me are myself. So I don't feel pressure from anyone unless I put the pressure on myself. But I try not to do that because that'll just be too much to juggle and then trying to focus on softball and focus on school. Like that's just, it's just a lot of extra stress that, you know, I can prevent from happening. Uh, Monet. So we've been, Kate and I have been watching a lot of women's sports films on the show and like critiquing them and talking about them. And one thing that we found is that we don't really think that there's like one single movie that everyone can look to and remember and be like, ah, that's the movie. Like we all, you know, female athletes like really connect with that one movie. And so I'm curious, since you're a lot younger than Kate and I, did you have a movie when you were growing up that you, sorry, Kate, for just throwing a, a dagger no, at, I at was, you. She I was, I was happy. Lot. I'm just, yes, this is good that I'm in your company now. So I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Is there a movie that you watched growing up that you really connected with, uh, a sports movie specifically that you really connected with? Definitely. I would probably say Sandlot. I watched it so many times. So, you know, my, the catcher who called for me in the Little League World Series, he's like my best friend. And Every summer, we'd be just hanging out all the time. And we, you know, our teammates, we'd just come out to the field and just play made-up games. And that kind of reminds me of the Sandlot. So I would probably say the Sandlot. And every camp that we went to, we watched the Sandlot. He could recite the words from the Sandlot. So I'd definitely say the Sandlot because it had a, a huge, huge role in my life growing up. So 
Yeah. I've never okay. seen it. Kate, have you seen The Sandlot? Of course I've seen The Sandlot. Stop it, Jessica. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm surprised that you picked that movie only because both Jessica and I, ref- when we were growing up, we refused to watch movies that were made before we were born. And that movie was made in 93. We didn't refuse, right? But we were like, but that movie's so old. Why would we watch it? Right. Sandlot was made in 1993. Does this mean that you also were a fan of A League of Their Own? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. I watched that too. I watched, honestly, I'd say growing up, I watched a lot of sports movies. So like, I remember it was like spring break of like, I think I was in like fourth grade. I was just at my aunt's house just doing like some math problems. And it was just on and I like just was watching it. And that was the first time I watched it. And I couldn't remember the name. And then I went, somehow I remembered it and went back and rewatched it. So of course I watched it. I feel like every athlete should watch that movie. Yes. Thank you. Oh, I did. And that's why I was a bad athlete. No role models. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, Mona, since you said that, you know, you have been interviewed a lot. How are we doing in this interview? (laughs) Honestly, I say you're doing pretty well. Keeping it light, you know, there's lots of smiles going around. So it makes, you know, whoever you're interviewing comfortable. And the questions are fun, too. There's nothing like too serious as that's going on. So I think you guys are doing phenomenal. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. If you could have any hot meal after a game, what would it be? Oh, I'd probably stick with the classic chicken nuggets and some fries. (laughs) Okay, okay. Is there an outlet that you would want those from? No, I mean, this summer I ate a lot of the Purdue nuggets um, and then some Arby curly fries. I know so many people Ooh. do not like Arby's. But no, but their curly fries are so, so good. good. Yeah, so underrated. I, just, I found out that they like sell like packets of them in like Walmart and like any like grocery store. So I started buying them and then just eat. I eat that almost all the time. I think every day in the summer I just ate chicken nuggets and french fries. <laughs> okay. Do you think that Arby's would vibe with your <laughs> brand if they could? They could be like the Hampton University NIL <laughs> Monet sponsor, I think. Honestly, I would I'd vibe with it. I know a lot of people give RB slander, but I their chicken tenders and french fries are so good to me and people judge me all the time and I'm like it doesn't matter. I still love it and you know, I I'd vibe with it. Hopefully they would too. I feel like I'm a good person. I feel like I can contribute to them, so I yeah. think it'd be cool. They have okay. the meats. Yeah. <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think this is the last question, Jess, unless you have anything else. Go what, ahead. No. Is this a Barcelona? What's the shirt that you're wearing? Um, it's a Portland Thorn shirt. It's pretty oh. old because it has Tobin Heath on the back. Um, okay. and she's not on the team anymore, but I got this yeah. when she was, but I do have a Kristen Press one in the closet. Also have a Kristen Press long sleeve. I'm not a Thorns fan. I am a bandwagon. So I'm an Angel City <laughs> fan now. So anywhere Kristen Press goes, I'm a go. Oh, this is a perfect way to end. I feel like we are going to have to call Kristen Press after this interview and like get her to record a little special something for this episode. I even have her jersey. <laughs> I comment on her pictures. We're going to get it one day. One day I'm going to get the Kristen Press follow and I'm going to have a conversation with her. I'm going to try and make this happen even though I have no leverage. No, so. you do, Kate. You you <laughs> definitely can make this happen. I believe in you. Uh, we got to record it though. We got It has to be content, right? We, we can't just let it be happening in the ether social media campaign monet with christian press and an rb sponsorship curly fries we got this sounds great i'm down (laughs) all right monet thank you so much we really appreciate you hopping on with us thanks for having me i had a great time thank you all right good woohoo women want to feel safe women want to feel powerful 
Women want underwear that's light as a feather, but strong as Guy Fieri's acid reflux medication. Order up. It's Tactical Thong. Bam, Tactical Thong. What we've done is merged ladies' super sexy, barely there undergarments with an aggressive, military for no reason style design and marketing campaign. Have you ever seen a female athlete with visible panty lines? So gross and distracting, right? Now, when wearing Tacthong, fans in the stands can watch women's sports and keep their lunches down. Our trademark fabric is paper thin, breathable, feather light, and completely bulletproof. Its flame repellent sheets will hug the cheeks of any sleek physique. That's the Tacthong promise! What makes Tack Thong different from a regular thong? Who cares? We made it tactical, so that means they'll buy it. And by they, I mean the NCAA. Hell, they'll probably make it a mandatory part of the uniform. That's how in the palm of our hands the NCAA is. But don't tell them I told you. What's out? Tack Looks like the ladies just took the court. Think this ad is all over the place? It is! We fired all of our ad writers because these little butthuggers sell themselves. They're made out of rayon, illegal cockatiel feathers, and whatever Neptune is made out of. Round out your collection of tactical gear for women with the Tack Thong Tactical Tack Thong. It's a thong! The scope of the motion picture is tremendous. It brings to us the life of foreign lands and strange peoples. The highlights of current events. The theater screen gives pleasure and enlightenment to millions every day. This is Does It Hold Up? Where Jess and I go back and watch films that put women on the field or on the court, and we decide whether it still inspires and wows us, or whether it's a heaping pile of shit. You have to understand. They're the most dangerous waves on the planet. Out here, you don't just get crushed. You die. This summer... These waves are for the big boys. You don't surf here. Stop it! Don't touch her. Blue Crush. This week on Does It Hold Up, <laughs> we watched Blue Crush. Blue Crush! Kate, we're we're both scared right now. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things we should just acknowledge uh, that we learned about each other is that we are both terrified of big waves. So <laughs> not an ideal film if not you're afraid ideal. of the ocean, yeah. <laughs> but a testament to how brave surfers are. Yes, which and we will get into. And a testament to how the lengths we will go to create wonderful content here on Off the Looking Glass. Exactly. So Blue Crush is a movie that came out in 2002, and it's based off of a story written in Outside by Susan Orlean from 1998 and then was adapted into a film. And Kate, I read part of the story. Very oh. well-written story. Excellent story. You went back to the original inspiration for this movie. The Outside Archives, yes. Okay. Yeah, Susan Orlean is a famous writer, so I have not read the original piece. Whenever anyone, I didn't even know it was based on a true story, so thank you for that little tidbit. Well, sort of based on a true story. I didn't read the entire piece. I read, like, excerpts from it. But, yes, it is based off of these 
surfer girls that Susan Orlean traveled to Hawaii to report on back in the 90s. So then I wish I had pitched that article. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) They cast Kate Bosworth as the lead and we have Blue Crush. So we should start by giving a little synopsis, I think. Yes. So this is about a group of girls in Hawaii, Kate Bosworth being the main character, Michelle Rodriguez also being in the cast, and they are living independently because Kate Bosworth and her younger sister, Anne-Marie and her younger sister, their mom has left. We don't hear a ton about her, just that she has abandoned them and run off with a guy. And they're living a surfer lifestyle where they are working at a hotel to make rent for their shack on the beach, but their true love is riding the waves. And Anne-Marie is, she has made her mark on the surfing scene, but she has also had this catastrophic event of near drowning. Okay, you you want to jump in here. <laughs> is she the Ben Simmons of surfing? <laughs> yes. She has the yips, essentially. She's like the Chuck Knobloch, if we want an even older reference. Exactly. She's John Lester. She can't throw to first. Like every yep. time she sees a big wave, she kind of chickens out because she's afraid of this harrowing, traumatic experience that she had, which is shown to us in this like very acid LSD montage sequence at the beginning of the film, which I um, immediately was like, did I click on the right movie? What am I watching right now? But yeah, you're right. Like she's afraid to surf big waves because she had a near fatal incident that they allude to, but they never really talk about. We see the flashback more times than I need to, though, of her head hitting a rock or the reef underneath the water and then blood popping out. So we never saw the wave. We don't see the whole scene, but we get this one moment of her head smashing into the reef, which one time would have been sufficient, but we probably saw it seven to eight times. This is also a movie of montages, Kate. Yes. We have lots and lots of montages. Like if you could sum up the plot, it would be like surfing montage, hotel montage, surf lesson montage, surfing competition montage. Yes. (laughs) They saw what Rocky did and they thought, we love that Rocky montage. We are going to fill our movie with 15 to 20 of these montages. So the engine of the movie or the destination of the movie is this big surf competition, which at the start of the movie is nine days away because we see the opening scene is her running along the beach doing push-ups and pull-ups and abs and then coming Workout back montage yep work that's right the original montage of the movie and then in lipstick she has written on her her mirror nine days till the big half pipe event and then she crosses it out and it's eight days so we are set in the movie with our driving force which is this big event that we have to figure out if one if she's going to be able to overcome the yips and if she's going to be able to then catch a wave and make her mark and there's moments in the movie where we see other surfers who are quote unquote professionals and they have sponsorships and, you know, and they're driving nice cars and they've got the sunglasses and our crew of girls, they're ragtag still. They are, they're throwing down change to buy gas. And so there's this, there's this class element as well of if Anne Marie can catch a big wave and make her mark at this surf event, it will also change their life financially going forward. Yes, exactly. So the three girls are maids at what looks like a five-star resort. Mm -hmm. And so we are introduced to our antagonist, I suppose, which is the horrible ex-boyfriend from Legally Blonde, whose name I don't even remember. But he's like the hot quarterback who's in town for the Pro Bowl. So Anne-Marie meets Matt at the hotel where she works on the staff as a maid. 
And they begin like a romance where she's teaching him surfing lessons. He's paying her a lot of money. And she is then distracted by their relationship and stops training for the competition that's coming up, which then leads to a conflict between her and Michelle Rodriguez about what her priorities are. So we then have the final act of the movie is this actual, is it the half pipe? What are we calling it? What is it exactly? (laughs) I keep calling it half pipe, but that's like skating, isn't it? It's called a pipe. The pipe. Okay, the pipe. So the last third, the last act of the movie is this pipe event where the waves are massive. And and we are clearly told as the audience that this is not just about catching a great wave and getting a great score. It's about surviving, that people die. And so in this final scene, you've got Anne-Marie battling her own demons. You've got Matt and his one of his offensive linemen showing up as well as her sister and her friends are there, as well as everyone in, in the community. And the question on the table in, in this final scene is, is Anne-Marie going to be able to rise to the occasion? And then, that, I don't know if we want to, do we do spoilers on this? I can't remember. Oh, we definitely do spoilers. So the first half of this last act is Anne-Marie going for it, catching a big wave, and getting tossed around by the sea is the best way to put it, and almost dying again. Her surfboard gets caught in a reef and she is tethered to it and she can't get it off her ankle. And personally, I was never concerned she was going to drown. I didn't think this was Million Dollar Baby. <laughs> Clint version. Eastwood would have. Oh, my. The Clint Eastwood ending of this movie, Kate. We can we can Brutal. rewrite it easily. <laughs> yeah. Well, she would have survived, but she wouldn't have had enough oxygen to her brain. Right. And so her, she would have had permanent brain damage in the Clint Eastwood version of this. But she unhooks her ankle and she goes to the the injury tent on the beach and she is trying to gather herself and she gets a little pep talk from Matt, the famous quarterback, who tells us about the time that Warren Sapp blindsided Mm -hmm. him in his first NFL game and he got back out there and what he remembered about that game was this one perfect pass, even though they lost the game. So the end of Blue Crush is... And this is interesting. Maybe we start here in our dissection of of Blue Crush is the last 10 minutes of the movie are Anne-Marie and the other competitor that she's out there with. And the other competitor we know is one of the preeminent surfers because we've seen her earlier in the movie and she's just stacking up good score after good score. She's dropped into what looks to be 10 waves before Anne-Marie even catches one. And then this competitor... Paddles back out to where Anne-Marie is sitting beyond beyond the swell. I don't even know if that lingo is right, but that's what we're going with. And this competitor then coaches her and encourages her and actually sort of gives her pointers and gets her onto her first wave. And it happens repeatedly. And this competitor finally coaches Anne-Marie onto what appears to be the biggest, most perfect wave that she rides in the biggest, most perfect way. And she comes out the other side. And even though she has not done enough to beat this competitor in, you know, whatever this is, the semifinals or this round of the surf tournament, she has had this iconic moment. And she then is like Billabong is coming up and offering her sponsorship. Hi, I'm Jessica from Billabong. (laughs) That was not the best acting I've ever seen in that that one moment from Billabong. It could have been an actual Billabong representative cast in that role. (laughs) Kate, we should add that the more experienced surfer who helps her is actually a famous female surfer named Kayla Kennelly who they cast to do all of this 
And so if you're a, a surfing aficionado, which certainly we are not, you might watch mm-hmm. the film and recognize that and think like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I actually, I, this is, I thought it was a very gratifying interaction. And I wanted to know what you thought about this competitor who's out there with her. There could be merciless competitors who just let her idol out there or let her get crushed by a wave and don't care. But I really, really enjoyed the interaction there about helping and coaching Anne-Maria out on the water. I mean, maybe we have to acknowledge that it didn't seem possible at that moment for Anne-Marie to actually win the event. So there wasn't a ton of risk for this competitor to help her, but I thought it was a really beautiful interaction between them at the end. Yeah, so let's start here. I agree with you. I thought that the fact that she was being encouraged by another female athlete was a positive for this film. I think you could have taken out the entire quarterback pep talk love interest thing that happened in the medical tent and just had this moment sit there as a sign of like a woman encouraging another woman to compete. So you don't need like a man to kind of like help lift you up and and, like push you out the door. Like female athletes can do that too. I'm a little skeptical that one of the storylines in the original article was an NFL quarterback connecting with one of the Maui surfer. So I do think that Blue Crush could have held up without the insertion of the NFL quarterback love interest storyline. I I do understand that when you're making any Hollywood movie and if you don't have a love interest through line, you're missing a huge piece of the population who wants to see something like that. But I thought there there was enough dynamic interaction that was unique for that time period between women that that was interesting enough to me. And I think that is, that's a good place for us to go from here, which is I didn't know that Blue Crush did such a great job of its interactions among women and the way it portrayed independence and athleticism and pursuit of athletic achievement without the standard tropes of like the male coach who needs to come in and like offer his wisdom. I really appreciated that about this movie. Yeah, and there were also a lot of like misogynistic surfer bro dudes that played the role of like evil villain that we never really like saw, but we the film tried to make them look like they were idiots in a way, which I think gives them less credibility. Some films just leave those things in there. Like when Clint Eastwood says to his employee, I already have one girl, don't cry or whatever, yeah. and no one challenges yeah. it. Like, the the guys in this film that played, like, the misogynistic, like, girls can't ride pipe, like, blah, 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 they were treated as, like, dummies, I felt. Yeah, they weren't given our respect from the beginning. Right. It was clear they that they were sort of yeah. a ragtag bunch. They weren't, like, fleshed out characters at all either. But I read this interview with Susan Orleans after the movie came out about what she thought about it, and I, I there were a couple quotes that stood out, so I'll read them to you. Even for people who felt quite comfortable with the tenets of feminism, I don't know that women doing certain sports like surfing had become familiar and common. It just wasn't a sport that women had penetrated in a very public way. I think the ability of women athletes has been so amply demonstrated over the past 10 or 15 years that we've become fairly used to it. But back then, it was still a bit of a surprise. And for these girls, there were not a lot of women and professional surfers who were role models. That just wasn't yet a familiar sight. And coverage of women's sports, which I think was a huge part of it, was still given a short shrift. That is a very, like, literary... Well, it's Susan Orlean, so I'm not surprised. She is a notorious writing genius. She's not necessarily taking, like, a Hollywood commercial approach to her analysis of women's sports. This is, like, a very feminist academic approach to it. Absolutely. And then she went on to say, 
once you establish in your mind, oh, this is a story that has some special interest to me because it's a bit unusual to see girls surfing, then that's not the story. That may be a justification for the story, but that's not the actual story. The actual story lives on in the emotion of it and the characters and the people and the actual story, not the policy position. So I love that. Like it was a story yeah. about people who exist in the world. And she wasn't like ever taking a stance on it that like, hey, we should do this, this, and this for these people. Like, she's just saying, like, hey, these people exist. Like, we should pay attention to them. And so then this movie was made. Yeah. And so I thought, right, I actually think it was the opening line in the movie, not said by anybody, but it was a voiceover. So the, that, for me, there was a couple things about it that got me thinking. So the first line of the movie, I think, is a voiceover where it says, it's in a kid's voice, and it, it's, a, it's a girl, and she's saying... I'm going to be the best surfer in the world. And like it's over a montage of, of waves crashing. And it stuck out to me because she's not saying as a kid, she's not saying I'm going to be the best girl surfer in the world. She's saying I'm going to be the best surfer in the world because that's how kids grow up. They grow up thinking, oh, I love this thing and I want to be the best at it. And I haven't distinguished in my mind that, they're, that I'm going to be separated out and I'm going to have to be either the best girl at it or the best boy at it. And so I liked this opening line of I'm going to be the best surfer in the world. And then it's paired with this later moment in the movie where Michelle Rodriguez's character is watching old footage of Anne-Marie, which is kind of odd, and I don't think friends really do that. Kate, I watch videos of you playing Colorado basketball (laughs) every night before I go to bed. All the time. I just like to break down your game from the early (laughs) 2000s. But so Anne-Marie is watching this footage of young Anne-Marie, and she must be like 11 in it. And then Michelle Rodriguez says this. She's like, and then they threw up some bullshit rule barring you from the boys' contest because the boys were scared. And I'm like, that's actually kind of maps onto reality pretty well. Yes, it does. Why do you think we've done pieces on Marie Pepe being barred from Little League because she's a girl? Part of it is that the boys don't want to share space with the girls. They don't want to have to compete with girls. I'm not saying that this would hold true through puberty, but at that time, that is very true. That is the first moment when you're 10 or 11 or 12, as was evidenced in this line in Blue Crush, where you're like, oh, I have to be separated by gender. Yes, absolutely. And I think on the topic of the gender dynamic between her and Matt, the NFL quarterback, one thing that I liked about the ending of the film that was different than the ending, I think Love and Basketball ends with Sinai Lathan playing hoops and you see her husband and her kid on the sideline. And it's like, she gets to have it all, right? Like the end of this film, similar, where she kisses the quarterback, they have their special moment, but then she gets like, this endorsement opportunity. She ends up on the cover of the surfing magazine. Did you see the title of that article, by the way? No, what was it? It was Women Lay Pipe. Oh, no, you wait, you paused on the screenshot of what the, art, what, it said, of what the article it, it was? It said, the girls lay pipe. And it was like her doing her weird like cheerleader pose oh, yeah. on the surfboard, yeah. which was definitely in front of a green screen. Also, like obviously, Kate Bosworth's surfing scenes where her face superimposed on other surfers' bodies. Yeah. Let's just acknowledge that the CGI does not hold up. (laughs) Does not hold up. But at the end, like, the win for her isn't that she gets the guy or whatever. Like, she gets all of these other opportunities, too, by finishing the competition. So I like that it wasn't just a romantic ending. Wait till we find out that what Billabong is going to offer her is, like, 
no money, just a thousand dollars of free gear for like a three year contract. Like we don't actually get to see the second act of yeah. that interaction, which is oh, actually no money. We're just gonna no. They give you a surfboard. they offer her like twenty five thousand dollars, but the winner of the men's competition gets like a hundred thousand dollars. I was very pleased that the final scene of the movie was not Anne Marie and Matt kissing. Yes. Because that would have not been a reflection of the entire movie. I believe the final scene is like a fade out shot of Anne Marie with her girls, with her sister and with Michelle Rodriguez and with that crew kind of laughing. And that is an accurate reflection of how this group of women, specifically Michelle Rodriguez, supports each other throughout this movie. It is unusual to have a movie in which another female character is encouraging our main female athlete to ignore the man and to pursue her dreams and to remind her that she does not need a man. And in fact, that man will be a distraction. I love the flipping of that trope because most of the time we see movies with a man pursuing some goal and some woman comes into the picture to distract him from the end goal that he is going after. And so this movie flips all that on its head and does it in a really, really smart, empowering way. Should we talk about a few things that didn't hold up? It seems yeah, like we both we both really liked the way it ended. So there are a few things that I think we might be able to nitpick. For one, I thought there was a funny moment where the quarterback sees her surfing and immediately thinks, oh, I can do that. And then mm-hmm. she teaches him how to surf in like a half of a day. I'm like, this is that is that's not realistic. But we had to further the plot, I guess. So fine. And Hollywood decided to make a movie about a local living in Hawaii, and they cast a blonde white girl from L.A. Yeah, for sure. That does not hold up. And I don't think that would fly now. I feel like there would be a more authentic representation. Although, who knows? Maybe I'm maybe I'm just too hopeful. Also, for me, what didn't hold up, and it's not that I don't think that these interactions would still happen. It's that I feel like they painted the wives of the other NFL players who were in Hawaii I thought they painted them as a little like straight out of central casting, little too cliche, too stereotype. Cause so there's they were this awful, scene where yeah. they were awful. They were terrible. There's this scene where Matt brings Kate Bosworth to some shindig on the beach at this fancy hotel. And it's like a last hurrah for all of the NFL players and their wives are there and they're incredibly catty toward Anne-Marie. So Anne-Marie's in the bathroom, overhears them talking about how she's just, a, you know, an, a maid and he bought her that dress and he has this habit of like quote unquote slumming. And it just felt a little too on the nose of that like wag stereotype. Yeah. I agree with that. For for those of you. Yeah. Yeah, They're trying to make a a class commentary, I think, but in a way that seemed misogynistic to me because these girls only cared about like shoes, hair and makeup. Right. Yeah, Um, exactly. And then at the same time, like the commentary that's being made on the offensive lineman staying at the hotel and like, shitting on the floor and leaving dirty condoms everywhere. If I were an offensive lineman, I would be like, come on. That stereotype is a little played out, please. Just because I'm a bigger man doesn't mean that I'm... Miss the toilet. Yes. Although, (laughs) like, I think it does do a good... uh, It does do service to, like, people in hotels that behave shitty that expect, quote-unquote, lower-class maids to then have to come in and clean their shit just because they're staying at a five-star hotel. So on the flip side, like, I thought that that was probably a fair representation of what it's like to work at a hotel and be treated like a second class citizen because it's you know your job to clean up after all the rich people who stay here 
the last thing, and we, we texted about this. I don't know if we can execute this, but okay. you know there's the Bechdel test. Yes. Which is quickly the idea that if in a woman there's an, a piece of dialogue between two women that is not talking about a man, then that movie passes the Bechdel test. You and I were texting, and we were, we were so enamored with this movie where numerous women are talking about getting better at sports and they're encouraging one another and how in other movies about women's sports, there's often a lot of women who are telling the, the main character that she, she shouldn't focus on it. So I don't know, should we come up with something like a Smetana Fagan test? Um, maybe we call it the, the OTLG test. I like that OTLG test. Yeah. Yes. Is when it's going to have a lot of rules. Cause I feel like it's when in a, so, when a female character is pursuing a solo sport, there is another female character who encourages her in that pursuit. Mm-hmm. Then you've passed the OTLG test. Yeah. I, I like that idea. Okay. Like, were, were did, you, did we did we outline it properly or I think so. So like this movie passes the test because we have multiple conversations where the main character is talking to either her friend Eden, Michelle Rodriguez, or Kayla Kennelly about surfing and they're encouraging her and they don't mention this quarterback figure who has quote unquote distracted her from from surfing. Like they're just actually talking about their sport. We don't see that a lot. We definitely didn't see it no. in Million Dollar Baby. I think to wrap it up, for me, this movie absolutely holds up, aside from the things that are mostly, like the CGI is beyond their control right. in the early 2000s. Like there's nothing they could have done. This movie really holds up in its pursuit of female athleticism and female empowerment in a way that I'm actually surprised by. I wasn't sure, because like on the outside, you're like, okay, there's going to be a lot of women in bikinis on a beach. Like this isn't necessarily a recipe for a movie that is not going to objectify them. But the movie didn't really objectify these athletes in any way that I noticed. Yeah, I think that the reason that it holds up for me is that the thing that she has to overcome in this film is her own ability to perform in her sport and not necessarily her ability to like maintain a relationship or live happily ever after with this man. Like, even though those are all side quests, I think the happy ending comes from her being able to finish surfing the big wave at the end and not from any of the other things that are brought up throughout the film. One last thing about that is that this is a character who, in other movies where a female athlete is doing that, their pursuit is also going to fulfill some story arc for a man. Yeah. And that does not exist in Blue Crush right. at all. Also, notice she doesn't have, like, a father figure she's trying to impress. Nope. There's no coach, male coach. No. So, so like, she's she seems like she's really genuinely doing it for herself because she loves to surf. I, though, am never going to be catching one of those waves or looking at those waves. Like, if, those, if I went to Hawaii and the waves looked like that, I would not leave my hotel. Yeah, it looks terrifying. Surfing it's is terrifying. terrifying. I don't know how anyone does that. Kate, I have an update for you. Okay. So, full disclosure, we recorded the Blue Crush Does It Hold Up before I went on vacation a few weeks ago. Had to get some business out of the way. Pre-recorded it. Since we recorded it, I went on a trip to Portugal and visited the city of Nazaré, which is now the big wave capital of the world. It has some of the biggest waves and is a big wave surf destination now for, for the top big wave surfers around the world. They have competitions there. You have to actually tow the surfboards into the waves because they're so big. 
And yeah. all of the surfers that go there are kind of in pursuit of this, this big hundred foot wave. So I've gotten really into surfing since we recorded that. Yeah, I watched yeah, pretty this into it. really long documentary series on HBO called Hundred Foot Wave, which is about mm. Nazare. And there's two female surfers in it. One is Justine Dupont and one is Maya Gabera. And Justine's from France, Maya's from Brazil. They've both surfed at Nazare. It's like riveting stuff, Kate. And so I'm really terrified by surfing, but I've like kind of become a fan of it now. And I'm I'm very interested. And now I kind of feel like I kind of want to rewatch Blue Crush. Yeah. Now that I well, like know four more things about surfing. Well, now that you are borderline expert, you may or may not write a book about surfing. We're not sure yet. But this is, I'm so glad you brought this up because you texted me when you were in Nazare. And I'm like, is that the city with the waves? Why would you do that? Because <laughs> seeing them is terrifying. And I, I don't know why I didn't follow up. Did you see massive waves there? Or is it only seasonal? So it's seasonal. The waves are there from December till around like March or April, which is winter time. So like the surfers go in there while it's really cold. And like, that's just something that I can't, I just can't that's, I don't like understand. Cold either, yeah. yeah, but it was cool because now that Nazare has become like a surfing destination, they've opened this like historic lighthouse that's like on this cliffside that was built like, I think hundreds of years ago. And they've put in like a surfing museum. And so there's all these like little surfboards up with plaques with like each surfer who surfed on the boards and then like a little quote from them. And there was... I have to say, like, really great female surfing representation in there. Like, I, I sent you some pictures of Maya and Justine's surfboards, and it was yeah. pretty cool to see. Probably not as cool as my Polaroid that was up at Cooperstown, but pretty no, cool. No, but it but, was cool, yeah. But So I, I didn't cool. see any giant waves, unfortunately, but it was still a worthwhile trip. And there were tons of tourists there. Like, this is now, this is now a tourist destination mm. in, in Portugal for seeing these giant waves. But I have to say, I'm still terrified by surfing, but what happens in Blue Crush compared to the big waves from the 100-foot wave show, now I feel like I could rewatch it and be like, you know, this is Mm. still scary, but like I've kind of been desensitized by waves. Should I watch 100-foot wave? Because it's always showing up when I launch HBO. I am scared of waves, but like you, if I was in Portugal, I would want to go see one. Yeah, I think the show has, it has like really, really amazing footage. Like they have GoPros strapped to like every inch of their bodies and their boards. So you get in there with the waves. So the footage is amazing. It's just overall like really interesting because we're both from the world of like team sports and like things that are kind of mainstream and popular in America and being immersed into another sport that exists and like you know, these surfers have a competition that is their Super Bowl and we've never really even heard of it, you know, until now is is something that always fascinates me. So I would say you should definitely give it a watch. Okay. All right, I'll do that. We should tell people who helped us make this show. I'll start because you helped us make it. Thank you for co-hosting and producing Off the Looking Glass. And thank you to Joel Shupak for doing all of the sound editing and designing on the show. And as well as Carl Scott for being our executive producer and nameless numberhead Henry and Mari who brought us another tactical gear, which I covet because I covet all of them. I want the whole line of tactical gear. I have all of them, even the unreleased ones. You got the special nod. Yes. And thank you, of course, to our guest, Monet Davis. That'll do it. Bye, everybody. 
See you next time.